This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Okay, cool. Well, thank you ever so much uh, for having me here. So, I'm Dave Hayes, and anyone who designs a product or service wants an experience that goes beyond the mundane. In general, we as designers, uh, we aspire to create a product, a service, and an experience which people can use, uh, which is in in ideally enjoyable and memorable, hopefully, for the good reasons, not the bad reasons. But what if the person you're designing for doesn't actually want to be there in the first place? So I'm Dave Hayes. I'm a UX designer uh, at Fjord, based in Canberra. So the idea for this talk came when I was in London. I was uh, a new grad, probably as nervous as I am now in a room. Lot, for lots of, full of lots of people, and I was meeting with a student loans company, so I kind of hex debt and that kind of stuff. And they had aspirations to create a social platform in their, um, in their area of the student portal. And as a young UXer, I kind of squeaked, kind of piped up and said, you do realize that I don't think anyone wants to come to their site and look at their student debt. And at that point, I was like, actually, people don't actually want to be there on the site. And I probably want to be doing something else. So, this is Lawrence Kane. Um, so he's saying, I wasn't there to be aggressive or to damage property. I felt I had exhausted every other avenue. So, pretty crazily, Lawrence went into the Optus store, and one afternoon he took the extreme step of chaining himself to the Optus uh, register. His peaceful protest was a last resort after numerous attempts to switch the ownership of his iPad data account from one business to another. So he visited the store three times, he's been on hold for five hours, and enough was enough. So what your organization might actually view as small flaws, or not quite MVP, might actually have a significant impact on your user's mental health and their well-being. Paul Lawrence. It's probably internet famous now. So um, customers have a voice. Um, a new voice media survey in 2016 found that after a negative experience, 42% said they would take revenge by posting an online review or sharing experience on social media. It's not really a, a surprise. But in America in 2016, 49% of US customers made a switch to escape poor customer service, which lost revenue from customers leaving equaled 84 billion Oz dollars, which is pretty significant. So what do you do if the person you're designing for doesn't want to be there in the first place? So I want you to just take a moment, take a breath, and uh, have a think of an experience where you would have wanted to have been somewhere else. Thinking about it? Thinking about it. All right. So you might have thought about something trivial, such as getting an email asking you to log into an account to read a message. Like, just send me the email. Like, I can't remember my password or account details or some random thing. Or it could have been an emergency, such as like getting, breaking your leg whilst you're overseas and having to deal with insurers in another country, in another time zone, all that kind of jazz. So the main difference between the two, whether it's a trivial or it's an emergency, is the mindset that a user approaches the situation in. And as designers, um, I use that term loosely, uh, in general, we want to design a service that is desirable for people. But in the context where someone wants to be somewhere else and interacting with anyone but you, 
we need to redefine our desirability and what is a good experience. So whilst it's not an emergency situation here, waiting for an age before you can watch a movie isn't a great experience. And with uh, Australia's great internet, sometimes we're kind of quite often faced with this kind of stuff. Um, so imagine the scene. So you've just rented a movie. Uh, you sat down on the couch, perhaps with a warm bucket of popcorn next to you. You've, uh, you've, this is your moment. And um, you see the message that you have to wait 13 minutes before you can watch a movie. And you pretty much know that when you sat there, the screensaver is going to come up with a bear trying to catch a fish. And it's not a great thing. But what if you have to wait longer than 13 minutes uh, to watch a film? What happens then? Back in the 90s, pizza companies would offer you a free pizza. Let's say if they said, the pizza's going to be there in half an hour, it's not free pizza. Everyone, well, not everyone wins because actually the pizza companies realized they were losing too much money as a result of overpromising, and so it didn't actually work out very well. But nowadays, we get promised that our calls will be answered within a set period of time. But if you're on hold for longer, there's no consolation prize, and there's no free pizza at the end. And if your movie takes longer than 13 minutes to load, there's no free pizza either, although it probably would be quite good to go with a movie. Um, so there is the option to reduce the resolution to view the film earlier, but really there's not a lot more you can do at this point. You're just waiting. So buffering is pretty annoying. I think everyone would agree. But having no internet connection is even worse. But it's not all doom and gloom. So in Google Chrome, there's a hidden feature. You might know it. Where if you press the space bar, there's a little game. It's just an Easter egg, but I really quite like this. So I'd like to think that the Google team sat there and worked out that people want to be doing something else whilst they're waiting for the internet to load. And they might actually be here for a while. So this, to me, is good design and really time well spent. <laughs> so like everything, there is a right and a wrong time. And we need to think about who we're designing for. From everyone who they just want to take a break, for those that want to break up with you and are highly stressed. And when people are really highly stressed, looking into human factors, they don't read, they act on impulse, and they need to be supported. They're not in a rational state of mind at all. And it's important to provide the information which is clear, considered, in plain English, and really rational about what a user needs to do next. So the need for a fire extinguisher which is not just the fact it's a pretty picture, it's been around forever. And the first modern one was really developed in 1818. And the last thing you want to see when you pick up a fire extinguisher in anger, you've got a fire in the corner of the room. This product complies with Australian standard AS81841. In order to operate your device effectively, please refer to blah, blah, blah. There's a fire in the corner of the room. You just want to pick it up. So um, the nozzles on CO2 fire extinguishers, they had to be redesigned and iterated uh, consistently as people kept getting cold burns on their hands when they used them. Although the instructions clearly stated that uh, you shouldn't hold a nozzle whilst it, as it rapidly cools, people don't read things in emergencies. So you need to design something which is so simple anyone can pick up and use. And it's, it's really essential that you empathize with the context, not only with the user. So how should we really develop empathy for people who don't want to be there? Hopefully this will play. Sorry, technical details.
You got audio? No audio? Let me just hold up for. So probably right about now, I would like to be somewhere else. <laughs> but it's all right. We'll get through it. If it doesn't work, we'll get the audio. All right. No audio. She's basically saying, this is not the right time to be interviewing me. I'm cold. I'm wet. My kids are freezing. And you're putting the microphone in my face. And she says, I don't want to be there. You're putting the microphone in my face. Get it out of my face. And I'm cold. And I'm wet. And you're putting the microphone in my face. <laughs> this isn't good. And um, the guy's like, I think we should take a break. Obviously, this isn't a good time. That was, I think that was the right narration. That's, OK, I've got that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So as the CNN interview showed, and my bad narrating, it's very difficult to interview someone during an event which is distressing or immediately afterwards. So it may be better to talk after the fact. And one really valuable method we use at Fjord is to visit customer call centers, as well as conducting stakeholder interviews. This really allows an understanding to be derived of common pain points and frustrations. So we know, and there's been talks about it before, uh, as a researcher, you have to be sensitive, human, non-judgmental, and ethical in the way that you conduct research. The goal is to understand what are the user's motivations, and what are the jobs that they would have wanted to achieve and what would have helped them in that situation. It's not easy. But research is not only about the qualitative data, but you should use numbers too. This guy is obviously not having a great experience, but quantitative data can, able, can maybe able to find predictable systemic events, such as when a clock's change and the day after, there is actually a 10% increase in car accidents. Or looking at individual behavior when a customer frequently rings to inquire about inclusions or exclusions with uh, superannuation, the alarm bell should be ringing at that point. Research and insights will help you to identify indicators that people are becoming frustrated or considering a different service. So if you know there's a pivotal point in your experience when customers become frustrated, try and be proactive and try to preemptively reach them before you know a bad situation might happen. Don't make any assumptions. So people are confused enough. I think as a UXer, we all kind of know that. But sometimes it kind of, we are surprised by it. And one example of, it, of this is how people interact with doctors. So the risk of a doctor being sued for malpractice has very little to do with how many mistakes the doctors make. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, um, it highlights that people don't sue doctors that they like. Medical researchers found that doctors hadn't been sued spent on average three minutes longer per patient. And further analysis of how they talked to their patients, looking at warmth, qualities, hostility, dominance, anxiousness, meant that researchers could predict which doctors were going to get sued and which doctors didn't. So customer service is still number one, or it's right up there. And is it obviously when you ring, you have an issue. That issue, issue resolution is important when something goes wrong. But some of the top reasons for people feeling um, and switching, switching services was around feeling unappreciated, uh, unhelpful or rude staff, and being passed around to multiple agents. What's interesting is it's very often very little to do with a service that they're actually getting. 
um, or if they found a cheaper, faster, better offer elsewhere. So the interpersonal experience seems to be valued above and beyond the quality of the actual service that they're getting. So when you're looking at services, it's fine when a customer has a choice of provider. They can disappear, go to a competitor. Sometimes they'll do the whole swap from one telco to another telco. But when you've got government services, the customer has very little choice but to continue using it. Or they use an ombudsman or third-party mediator. So imagine this is your standard gym or cable TV subscriber. They come in, learn about the service, and they sign up in a frictionless way. But when they need help, or their situation changes, they need to exit as quickly as possible. The barriers come up, there's no assistance. Coupled with the fact that they're overwhelmed, simple tasks are not easy to complete, as you can see here. Um, so how do we design for people who are in this kind of funk? And how do we consider their needs? You can see this guy's just giving up at this point. It's too hard to get out of the gym. Then a helpful bystander might like, give a hint about, you know, send a letter, send an email to this person. Now, I'm not saying that we should be designing banks to assist criminals to get in and out, but how should we focus on the other end of the user, of the user journey? So like with the bank, people want to get in and out as quickly as possible, and we should help them. Obviously not the robbers. So if the person you were dealing with doesn't want to be there, what do you do? They might actually come back to you if you treat them right. With customer service, you want to ensure that staff feel empowered to do their job and provide the best service to customers. So we always hear about designing customer first. It kind of makes sense. But should we be moving to designing employee first? And that philosophy allows companies to focus on where frontline staff interact with customers in an area they call the value zone. One such company using this approach in America is called Bonobos. It's a US fashion retailer, which is kind of online and offline. And they say that the customer always drives what we do. They want, to, they want you to have a better sense of who they are and create a better experience for them. In our case, it's also about empowering the sales associates. Um, so at Bonobos, the customer service staff, they have no script. Um, they can make one-off rewards, free delivery, even free products, and are encouraged to have a chat with their customers about anything. And one staff member had a call for like six hours but I talked about fashion, TV, movies, everything. It's all about driving customer loyalty and really understanding your customers. So how you really deal with people in a stressful situation can make a really big impact on how they perceive you later, which can enhance your brand rather than detract from it. So I've been a long time uh, paid subscriber to, to Spotify, but when a trial of Apple Music came out a couple of years ago, I figured I wouldn't be, there was no point paying for two music services. The process to cancel Spotify was actually really easy. And just after I canceled, I got an email in my inbox. It wasn't in the, in the kind of flow, didn't kind of provide any barriers to me getting out. But it was a link to the song, I Want You Back by the Jackson Fires. It's a really nice touch. And I thought the email had a lightness to it and an element of humor, which I thought really aligned to Spotify. Anyway, it stuck in my head. And um, Apple Music didn't really work out for me couldn't quite get into it. But getting back into Spotify was really easy. And it's kind of like I never really left. So all my playlists were there, all my settings were there. And uh, it was just really frictionless. So looking at the example of the, the bank robber, using the analogy of gyms, um, we talked about gyms and how they're impossible to leave. 
But if in a few months after you left, you finally kind of crawled through the barbed wire tunnel and got out the other side and escaped, they invited you back with a special offer. Would you actually go back? Probably, probably not. So Jakob Nielsen, he has a series of usability heuristics for in user interface design. And one key heuristic is to allow user control and freedom. So he says, uh, users need an emergency exit to leave the unwanted state without having to go through an extended dialogue. The system should, su su should support an undo and a redo. So I've kind of looked at that and reinterpreted it in this case to products and services, where they can leave and they can come back later as easily as possible. So my time is pretty short on the stage, uh, and I have to go and be somewhere else. But here are seven key principles that I want to leave you with. Number one, it's easy to leave, easy to return. So don't adopt those dark patterns and hoodwink your customers. It's not great to get them in, fool them, and then try and keep them trapped. Keep it light unless it's life and death. So think about how you speak to your customers. It's not about what you say, but also how you say it. Empathize when the time is right. So understanding the context, your user's state of mind and their motivations, conducting research at the time which is right and they're open to talking to you, not like the CNN um, interview. Make wait time into time well spent. So really value your customer and try and think about how you can maximize your interactions with them at all points. Only make promises that you can keep. So be realistic and honest with people. Be proactive. Reach people before it goes bad. So really, you can use numbers at this point. Numbers can be your friend. But you'll need to really dig deeper to really understand the reasons why something is happening. And lastly, don't underestimate the value of humanity. So showing understanding and kindness towards your customers, just treat them as people. That's really important. So and now I want to say how much I valued the time that you spent listening to me and invite any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.